Well, praise the Lord. Summer's begun, and we've begun a summer sermon series here at Emmanuel, which I had the privilege of kicking off last week. It is called Walking Out Your Faith, a sermon series from the book of James. Um, I will be preaching today, obviously, and Ryan will pick up next week for the next couple weeks, and then will, and we'll work through the summer until we're finish with the book of James. Last week we looked at the first four verses of chapter one, and so I'm going to pick up where we left off last week, looking at verses five through eight. So if you'd like to turn in your Bible to read along with me, I'm using the NIV, the same as the Pew Bible this morning. If you'd like to follow along, James chapter one, verses five through eight. It says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Let's pray for a minute. Father, we thank you once again for your word this morning. We thank you that we have the privilege of studying it, looking into it, and we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears, that we might hear what you would speak to us, make this word alive to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, last Sunday, of course, was Father's Day, and just a day or two after Father's Day, uh, I saw a card. It was online that I saw it, but on the cover of the card, it said, Dad, thank you for always saying yes when Mom said no. (laughs) Now, this is funny, but we know it's also true. Kids learn early on the idea that if at first you don't succeed in getting what you want with mom, try and try again, but this time try dad. Now sometimes it may be the other way around, I'm sure, but I guess that the card is primarily true. Dad's usually more of a pushover. Now parents, I know, strive to get on the same page in this and make sure that doesn't happen, but sometimes the guard is down and the card is true. But when parents present a united front, kids learn that just like a character in an old movie said, asking ain't getting. So today's text is about asking and receiving, but it's also about asking and not getting. So let's look into it. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 4, how God works in the midst of trials. They're not random. They're not meaningless. He's testing our faith as he allows trials to come into our lives so that he can, what, develop perseverance in us, spiritual muscle. And so that we'll be able to stand in our faith by his grace no matter what comes along. 
and ultimately, as it says in verse 4, to bring us to a place of maturity and completeness. Now, verses 5 through 8 can really stand alone, but they also have a connection with the first four verses, I believe. Because these to whom James was writing were going through some stuff, uh, persecution, and they were allowed to go through trials so that God could teach them to persevere. And he says here in verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom. So what's the connection here? Well, first point to make here is, you can go to the next slide, God is the source of wisdom. God's the source of all wisdom. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom. So it tells us us that these believers to whom James was writing, as well as uh, we, us, are not perfected. He said last week, no one is going to reach sinless perfection in this life on this earth. But we're in process. God's maturing us, completing us, conforming us to the image of Jesus, as we read last week from Romans. He says here that wisdom may be lacking in some of these believers. And what they need to do if they're lacking, is ask for it. If you need wisdom to get through the trials, ask for it. Now let's take a minute to look at sort of the biblical definition or biblical uh, content that talks about wisdom, just for a minute. This is a huge subject in and of itself, and no doubt many, many sermon series have been preached just on the subject of biblical wisdom. There are books in the Old Testament that are categorized by theologians and scholars as wisdom literature. Those books are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, and some would include Psalms and Song of Solomon, which we'll just preach through. Some think of those as poetry and not as wisdom, but there are at least three books and maybe five that fall into the category as wi- of wisdom literature in Scripture. There are books of the Scripture considered wisdom books. There are many, many, multiple hundreds of verses that speak about godly biblical wisdom. I want to read just a few verses, and you don't have to turn to these, but just to give an example, we're not even scratching the surface. But the book of Proverbs, one of the wisdom books, says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding, Proverbs 2, six. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Proverbs 4.7. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One, understanding. Proverbs 19.20 says, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Proverbs 24.3 says, by wisdom is a house built and by understanding it is established. Job, one of the other wisdom books, says, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. A couple of New Testament verses from Paul's writings. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, 
who became to us wisdom from God. Paul is saying that Jesus is, in fact, the personification of wisdom. We sang it in one of our classic hymns this morning, one of my favorites, Be Thou My Vision, Be Thou My Wisdom, O Lord. And Colossians 1.9, Paul writes, And so from the day we heard, speaking about the Colossian believers, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So often in Scripture you see that trinity, knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. This is one of the verses. They work hand in hand. Proverbs chapter 8 is a chapter that is entirely devoted to wisdom, and it, in fact, personifies wisdom. Some look at it as speaking of Jesus in sort of a prophetic way, but there are some verses in there that don't line up with that uh, understanding, but uh, an entire chapter that speaks to this whole area of wisdom. King Solomon was regarded as the wisest man who ever lived. And after he was established as king, God came to him. And this is what happened. 2 Chronicles 1, 7 through 12. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, God, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed, for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, riches or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Solomon needed needed to know practically how to govern and lead the people day to day. He needed wisdom from God. One short definition of wisdom is that wisdom is applied knowledge. We can know a lot of things. We can know uh, how to do certain things. But applying those things takes skill, which is somewhat synonymous with wisdom. Wisdom is applied knowledge. A biblical definition that I read that I like is that skill, that wisdom is skill in living according to God's way of life. And we can have knowledge of God's word, but how to apply that knowledge requires wisdom. We need specifics sometime. Solomon had a challenge before him, and so he asked for wisdom. James's hearers are challenged by trial. They needed wisdom to know how to navigate through that, tr- those trials. <clears throat> Last week, we saw how we need in the midst of trials, the four points that I made were keep the right perspective, look at the bigger picture, don't throw in the towel, 
and understand the ultimate objective, that God is trying to bring us to a place of maturity. All those things are spelled out in those first four verses, but they're more general truths. What about specifics? What do you have to do to do what God wants you to do? What do we need to do while we walk this out, in other words? For instance, say you're going through a financial trial. You begin to understand that God wants you to to be sound financially, but you're in the midst of a financial trial. Many number of reasons why you might be in it. Well, you need wisdom to know how to get out of it. What What steps do you take? Do you decrease your spending? Do you get a second job? Do you refinance your mortgage? Do you sell some of your assets? Maybe God calls you in your need to give more to his kingdom and test him. The answer could be any one or all of those things. You need specific wisdom from God to know the steps to take to get out of that financial trial. Maybe you're out of work. What do you do? You need another job. That's obvious. But what does God want you to do? Does he want you to relocate to another area where opportunities may be more prevalent? Does he want you to take a job that pays less? Does he want you to take a job out of your field? It may be any or all of those things or something else. God wants to give you specific wisdom to know the way to walk out this trial. There are any number of things that that could apply to. A personal testimony for Donna and for me is when we went to Elam back many years ago, 30 some odd years ago, we were prepared to sell everything we had, which was our house basically, and not a whole lot more than that. But God seemed to speak to us to not do that, and rather to rent it out. So that made it put us into a situation where we needed to know how to afford what we were going to do. Long story short, just as Caitlin testified today, many have supported her in her time at Elam. Many people in this congregation who were in that con- this congregation then supported us in that time. It was a, a trial because as time grew close, we did not still have what we needed to go, and God provided in a big way. He gave us specific direction, the wisdom to know what to do to walk through that trial and take us to the other side. We prayed and waited on him. So how does God give specific steps, wisdom steps? When we pray and we ask him for wisdom, as James suggests or tells believers to do, does he write the answers in the sky? I don't know of anybody who's received that. Does he give a prophetic word through a person? That may be so giving you some specific direction as to what you should do. But I think more often than not, it's that thing that comes to us, however it comes to us, after we've committed it to prayer. It may not be a big light bulb going off, but it's a still small voice. This is what you need to do. You may all of a sudden find something in the Scriptures while you're reading it that gives you some clear direction. Or pick up a book that tells you how to work your way through whatever trial you're going through, whether it's financial or relational or whatever it is. It may be through a person. It may be God will lead you to a specific person to counsel you in that. 
But that's no less God than the handwriting in the sky or the prophetic word. However it comes, it's God's direction and an answer to the prayer that you've lifted to have the wisdom that you need. James was a part of the leadership in the church of Jerusalem. In Acts 15, we read about something that happened there. The Judaizers, those who were saying that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved, were stirring up problems. Paul and Barnabas confronted them. And long story short, they ended up in Jerusalem debating this whole thing. And Peter gives testimony to how the Holy Spirit came on the Gentiles just like he did on them, on the Jews. And Paul and Barnabas spoke of the miracles that were taking place among the Gentiles. And when they finished, James spoke up. This one James, the one who wrote this book. And he said, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. Then he quotes from uh, Amos. And he says, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles returning to God. And ultimately, the apostles in Jerusalem say, they sent a letter, and it said to the believers in Antioch where this problem was occurring, we have heard that some out went out from us without our authorization and disturb you, troubling your minds by what they said. So all agreed to choose some men and send them to you, to you with our dear friend Barnabas and Paul. And then he ultimately says to them, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to only tell you to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality, you will do well to avoid these things. So James had firsthand experience at applying this wisdom of getting answers along with the other apostles to, to uh, put to rest an issue in the larger church. God is the source of all wisdom. The second thing we see in this fifth verse, he says, Ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You can put up the next slide there. Not only is God the source of all wisdom, God is a good giver. Now, God the Father here stands in contrast, unfortunately, to the earthly fathers that some of us have had. Not all of us, but some of us have had earthly fathers that were not as generous. They weren't generous givers. Earthly fathers who found fault with our best efforts. And when we tried and we failed more than once, instead of receiving uh, uh, encouragement, we received harsh criticism. Our perception of the Father in heaven is often skewed in the hearts and minds of many believers by the experiences we've had with our earthly fathers. God is not like that image of the earthly father. He's a forgiving father who wants us to succeed in effectively walking out our faith. If we failed in the midst of a trial before that he's taken us through, he may take us around that mountain another time, as we said last week, 
but he's for us. He won't remind us of our past failure, but he'll point us toward a better future. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and to give you a future. He gives generously. He'll generously lead us into the path of wisdom to make it through to the other side. He's a good giver. We'll skip to the next slide, and we're going to go verses 6 through 8 and read all three of these last verses in this passage. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Pretty tough words there. God's giving is sometimes conditional. He's the source of all wisdom. He's a good giver. But sometimes God's giving is conditional. This is a truth we see throughout Scripture. There are two kinds of promises in Scripture, conditional and unconditional. The unconditional promises are things that God has said that are going to come to pass no matter what. Nothing's going to stop them from happening. They're going to be fulfilled. But then there are conditional promises that God lays out in his word. If you do this, I will do this. Conditional promises. Faith is in operation here. Faith is foundational to receiving anything from the Lord. You've got to have faith. That's one of the conditions. If you look in the previous book, the book of Hebrews, one of the most famous chapters in Scripture, the faith chapter, chapter 11, the first verse says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then the sixth verse, before it begins to enumerate all the heroes of Scripture of, 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 of faith, the sixth verse says, for without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So what's James saying here? Many of these believers, in fact, you could argue most, if not all of these believers, were new in the faith. You remember last week when we did the introduction of the book and covered a little background, we said that this book may have been written, this letter may have been written as early as 40 AD. Well, do the math. The church was only a few years old, and those who had become believers had only been believers for a few years. And some people mature more quickly than others, that's true, but many of these believers were new believers, and they faced persecution after the death of the stoning, the martyrdom of Stephen, and they scattered. And so James is addressing this issue with them. New believers in the midst of trial, and some of them were probably ready to abandon the faith. They were questioning what they had done in making this commitment. Some of them were probably very nominal in their commitment. They were probably saying, I didn't sign up for this. Well, yeah, I liked all this Jesus stuff before, but now it's getting kind of hard. I'm not so sure about it. 
If you want to make it through adversity that you're facing, you have to understand that you need a well-placed faith. Believe that Jesus is not only able to save you eternally, but he's able to preserve you and sustain you presently. You got to be in it or not in it. Hot or cold, not wishy-washy. It's true of us today. If we're wishy-washy in our faith, if half the time we're wondering why we left the former life that we had to walk with Jesus, if we're like the Israelites, complaining and grumbling and groaning and wanting to go back to Egypt because it wasn't so bad there after all, then don't be surprised if then you go before the Lord and say, Lord, I need this. And he says, don't expect to get anything from me. Wait a minute, you're a gracious, loving, merciful God. Yeah, but you're, you're still back in Egypt. Half of you is back there. You're still wrapped up in some idols. Don't you know that I'm a jealous God too? The man that Jesus speaks of here in these last, or that James speaks of here, is not like the man who came to Jesus with his demon-possessed son. You remember that account? It comes from Mark chapter 9. The man brings his son to the disciples He's possessed by a demon. He wants the son to have that demon cast out of him. Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And as he's making his way down from this experience, he hears this big ruckus going on because this man is there with his demon-possessed son and his disciples try to cast him out, and he couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. And so Jesus steps into the situation, and the man says, if you can do anything... Take pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. And then this man says this. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. This man had some doubts, but it wasn't not, there weren't doubts about Jesus' ability. He believed in Jesus. In essence, he was saying, my faith is far from perfect. I may not have enough faith. If my faith is enough, please help me to have enough faith. I believe in you, Lord. The man that James is speaking of here is, as it says, a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Listen to some of the definitions of the word that's translated as double-minded. It's dipsukos, I believe is the proper Pronunciation, pronunciation of it. It is derived from two words, and two and soul. In other words, two-souled, double-minded. That is, a person split in half, vacillating like a spiritual schizophrenic. A double-minded person means two souls, as if two distinct souls were affecting this man's attitudes and actions. One of the souls is oriented, as it were, toward God and trusts in God, while the other is oriented toward the natural world and disbelieves God. As one writer put it, James is describing a man who is, quote, a walking civil war 
in which trust and distrust of God wage a continual battle against each other. That's not the way it can be. Either you're in or you're out. The classic example to me of this occurred in 1 Kings chapter 18. You remember the story of Elijah? God led him to pray, and there wasn't rain on, the, on Israel for years. And Ahab, the wicked, evil king, was angry with him. And he confronts him right before Elijah has the confrontation with the priests of Baal. It says in verse 16, Obadiah went to meet with Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? This is the guy who's been worshiping idols and doing every evil thing you can imagine. And he's calling the man of God the troubler of Israel. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals, worshiping idols. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And then verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you be double-minded? God is a source of wisdom. He's a good giver. But giving sometimes is conditional. Let's close with two points if you want to put up the last slide. The takeaway from this, first of all, seek specific wisdom steps from God to walk through your situation. Whether your trial is great or small, whether it's really even a trial, if you need wisdom in certain situations, seek earnestly God's wisdom, specific steps to see you through. He says he'll give it because he's a generous giver. But the second takeaway is examine yourself to see if you have an undivided heart. Examine yourself. I hope that everyone here today is a fully committed believer and follower of Jesus Christ. But if you're not, examine your heart to be sure that you're not a double-minded man. Because if you've been struggling, if you've been asking God for direction, and your heart's still back in the life that you had before, if you're, if you're in a sense, worshiping idols, if you're worshiping anything other than Jesus, then you may be in that place. And you can come out of that place. You can find 
stability and security and peace and guidance and direction and wisdom from the living God. I'm going to ask Derek to come and just, if you will, Derek, just come and play that classic hymn <clears throat> that we sang earlier, Be Thou My Vision. We need Jesus to be our vision, our wisdom, our hope, everything that it says in that song. And as we close today in prayer, if any of you need prayer, if any of you are struggling in your faith, if you need prayer for anything, I'd invite you to come. The elders are here, available to pray. Others are here, available to pray with you. Let's close in prayer as Derek's playing and just wait on the Lord for a moment. Take a moment to just examine your heart and if there's anything in you, if God speaks to your heart, to confess, forgiveness is readily available. God is eager to forgive and to grant you the wisdom you need to walk through this walk that he's called you to, to. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your living word. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement it gives us that you will indeed give wisdom to us in our life situations when we don't know what to do, when we don't know the specific steps to take, that we can trust you to give us guidance. We thank you, Lord, also that your word sometimes cuts like a knife, like a sword, and brings conviction to our hearts so that you bring us to that place where we confess where we receive your forgiveness and renewal and strength to move on in our walk with you. So I pray this morning, Lord God, for each and every one of us, Father, that you would bring us to a place of completeness and maturity that James speaks about at the beginning of this epistle. And that you would give us the wisdom to know how to get there. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you, Lord. If we could just sing that verse from this hymn, let's stand together as we close. Be thou my wisdom. <clears throat>